Welcome to the official podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel Indy West. Our desire is to make authentic disciples of Christ who worship Him, walk with Him, and work for Him. You can find more information about Harvest by visiting our website at www.harvestindywest.org or by downloading our app from your app store. We pray today's podcast will encourage your pursuit of Jesus Christ. study in the book of Matthew. We're in chapter 26, so if you would open your Bibles there to Matthew chapter 26. Um, Two Sundays ago, uh, we joined Jesus and the disciples at the Passover meal. Uh, Last Sunday, Misha here was from uh, St. Vincent Caribbean, and uh, just a delightful time. But two Sundays ago, we were uh, at the Passover meal. It was Jesus's final Passover meal, and we could literally say Jesus's final meal uh, here on earth. And uh, in that meal, we talked about how uh, we clearly saw he just turned lives inside out and upside down at that point in time with what was going on. One, uh, he, he communicated to them during this meal that one of them is going to betray him. Man, there's a meal downer, huh? Like, have a conversation card, and here's the card. Who's going to betray me? It's interesting. Uh, all of them ask, is it me? Is it me? I actually love that fact. The vulnerability, the, the humility, the potential that, Lord, could it be me? By the way, we'll talk more about this next week. It's just intriguing in the whole thing that, that you would think that here these guys have been living together for three years, day in, day out, doing ministry together. And over this time, uh, Jesus says, when are you going to betray me? <laughs> and it's not like all the fingers point to Judas. It's not the kind of thing to where it's like, well, we've been seeing this happening. We, we suspect it's Judas in it all. Uh, I mean, nowadays, if, if Twitter was around then, Twitter would just be a buzz. Uh, they knew. They all knew. I mean, how could you not be around there and, and not know exactly what's going done? I mean, I would have known. We would have known for sure in that. Uh, yeah, right. Um, it's interesting in how our world, things don't change. But Jesus blows their mind. Uh, one of you will betray me. One of you will betray me. And then also at the meal, he blows their minds by giving them a whole new understanding of the Passover meal. I think a lot of times when you read through the Last Supper in the Gospels, we we kind of come with this sense that this is a brand new thing, that this has never been done. Actually, that's not true because the Passover meal has been going on for uh, decades and and centuries of time since post-Exodus period. And and in this, even the bread and the cup have have had particular meanings in the Passover meal. But what's so amazing about it is Jesus puts a whole new meaning to it. In, In the process of the Passover meal, he makes reference, this is my body, this is my blood that will be poured out for you in a new covenant. It's crazy with what he's doing there. He's blowing their mind on it. And then today we pick up from there, we're in verse 30, Jesus and the 12 leave for the Mount of Olives. Let me read uh, those five verses here, pick up verse 30, and when they had sung a hymn, by the way it was hymn 218, if you're running on that, uh, actually, uh, the real wording there, it's not like the hymnal book. Um, the real wording is, is and, and when they sang praises. And having sung praises. By the way, how interesting is that, that Matthew was there, by the way. And also, Jesus, knowing what's about to be coming, and in light of Gethsemane coming up here, they're singing praises. It's almost like, in some ways, for our world, it's like, hey, something hard's coming up. The last thing you do is sing praises. Uh, but they were, um, 
good lesson for us. And when they had sung praises, they, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and then Jesus said to them, <laughs> one more downer point here, uh, you will all fall away because of me tonight. By the way, which night? This night. I mean, he just doesn't say at some point in time. He knows exactly the details of, of when. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him. Of course, Peter. Actually, I love Peter. I love the fact that someone's willing to take a stand. I mean, he gets his foot in his mouth a number of times. He's way ahead of his own heart and reality on it. But I have to say this. Way to go, Peter. Someone's stepping up to the table. And Peter answered him, though they all fall away. In other words, he just bagged the other guys. Lord, though they all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I, I will not deny you. By the way, and really an important note is the next one. And all the disciples said the same in it. Let's talk about this before we move on uh, to the next year for a bit. I'll just say this. It's hard to admit our own personal reality, our own personal reality of broken and failed. It's hard to admit that. Now, we, we live in a culture that, that kind of gives everybody a trophy, um, and, and it's like just for breathing you get a trophy nowadays. Uh, it's, it's kind of, you need to think of yourself as the most awesome thing on the planet. Listen, I am not saying uh, think of yourselves unbiblically, but I am saying I don't think that is actually biblical. In the reality of it all, because part of what ends up happening is, friends, you and I are broken people. Uh, we fail and we fall, Correct? And what happens is, is when we have this conversation out here that is not even biblically founded in it and gives us this idea that you, are, you should win a trophy just for waking up today because you are awesome in it, it you kind of walk away and you go, why do I need a savior then? And on top of that, it's kind of like in it, you, you end up knowing, you know, we know that we are broken, hurting individuals that fall and fail. We, we do, we do, we do. And then when we have this out there, we're like, I'm a loser. Because apparently everybody else is awesome. Straight up with you, to totally transparent on the table. One of the things I so dislike about going to ministry conferences is going to them and taking a look and walking away and going, I stink. I like really stink as a pastor. I, I like as a preaching pastor, as a senior pastor of church. Pfft. You know, why can't I be like him, 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 and him, and everyone else in the room? Clearly, I'm the one loser in the room. So one of the things I dislike about those conferences is because of what it ends up doing to you unless you work at it really hard to come to understand. Listen, they're broken just like I'm broken. God has gifted us and wired us uniquely in it all, but the fact of the matter, one thing that you and I and we can all relate to is we're broken people, and we are weak, and we fail easily. Uh, doesn't that give you hope? I mean, seriously, actually, it does. 
Because knowing that and understanding that the people sitting next to you and around you are in the same broken condition and failure and struggling through life as you are. We don't need a trophy. We need a savior. That's really what we need. And that's what's happening in the whole text of it all. Verse 31, Jesus' disciples, you will all fall away. (laughs) Peter's like, no, 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 I'm the trophy man. I won't, never, not me. Commend his desire. But buddy, you're not as awesome as you think you are. Maybe a little bit of thinking like Paul in Romans 7. I want to do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, that's that. That's like what I keep on doing. Relate? Relate. And then he even says in there, oh, wretched man that I am. In 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul says to Timothy, Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. I'm telling you, Paul did some doozies. And yet he understands that and Actually, in it, it's not about think of yourself horribly. It's think of yourself realistically so that you can have the hope that is provided through the Savior, Jesus Christ, who trumps over and crowns over our failures. There is hope for broken people in Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so here, Scripture comes along and pulls us and helps us see Peter and we want to laugh at him but we are him and then walk keeps going verse 36 then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane I'm going to pause right here before we go too much further we broken humans tend to make everything about ourselves including making Gethsemane about ourselves I want to stay away from that I think there's some observations we can, and you even have at the bottom of your sermon notes page, there are four there. I'm going to hit like in the last three minutes of our whole time together. But, but I want for us to know this. We are about to step on holy ground. This is divinity, a divinity meeting taking place. This is, this is a hollowed ground. Carson says the, the best mindset with Gethsemane is hushed worship. I like that. It's just kind of like a Exodus chapter 3 moment where uh, the Lord in the burning bush, how crazy is that, by the way, tells uh, 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 Moses, take off your sandals there, Moses, because you are now, you're stepping on hollowed ground right at the moment. And that's the fact of what's happening, friends. With what we are on at Gethsemane, this is hollowed ground moment time. This is not a time to put ourselves in the moment of it. This is not even a point in time to be able to go, I can so relate to what Jesus was going through. Because I think here in just a moment as we bring some clarity to it, it'll help you understand that you and I, we cannot even begin to understand what Jesus was going through. But the fact that he went through what he went through, the blessing out of it is he can understand what we go through. But he is taking on a cup thing here that we cannot even begin to understand fully. This is kind of like a Mount Sinai moment where it's like, don't don't go any closer. Just stand back, let the mountain tremble, hear the thunder, hear the horns blow, and be awed by it. That's what I want to have happen here. Jesus is bearing a cup that no human or angelic being can know or bear. As we'll see here in just a minute, this cup is the full fury of the righteous wrath of God that he is understanding he is soon going to bear. 
And this is what brings them face down. Let's see what I'm talking about. Let's work this out. Verse 36. Let me read the text. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Going a little further, he fell on his face. By the way, I don't think just his knees. I think he fell on his face to where dirt was in his nostrils and in his lips and in his mouth. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? By the way, let me just pause here and make a comment. It's really wonderful that Matthew puts this word in here. We're going to see this word. It has a definite article a little bit later on it, which makes more of a reference to this is the time, this is the moment. But here we have this word that carries a concept of an hour-ish it doesn't mean that it was exactly 60 minutes, but I'm going to say this. The, the things that we are reading about what Jesus prayed is a summation sentence or two on what the core idea is. But, but this was not like a two-minute conversation that Jesus was having with the Father. I think this clearly gives us an idea that he's making reference that this was some period of time. This is like 30 minutes, 40 minutes, 50 minutes, 60 minutes of time. Could you just not even stay awake for an hour and this is like the first go-around of the first time of prayer. This is no short little uh, kind of prayer thing going on uh, with Jesus, but this is instead face down, laid out before the Lord, and stuff was said in there that we don't even know. Man, I wish I knew. I wish I knew what the remaining 59 and a half minutes were. But here's one of the things about it. I, I think in it, we're provided the summation of it, and part of this even carries out this idea that there is a conversation going on between the Son and the Father that I think even if we knew all that was said, we couldn't grasp it all, hold it all, see it all, retain it all. There is an hushed awe with what's taking place in this moment. This is unlike time with what's going. Peter could you not just even watch with me for an hour? Watch and pray. Here's important that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and he prayed. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. But again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. Leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. How long was the combination of this? I, I, I don't know, but it was not 15 minutes in total. Verse 45, then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep, take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Before we kind of set our attention on Jesus, just a, a few observations about here with these uh, disciples. 
um, particularly these three that have entered in. It was likely Gethsemane at that time was literally likely gated. They, they probably had the remaining disciples stay out. They came in through the, the gate. This is probably an owned area. Someone allowed them to use the time. This is not the only time they've been in Gethsemane with what's going on. Verse 40 and 43, uh, I think uh, this sleeping issue that they have, this is not a physical slumbering problem. This is a spiritual slumbering problem. Say that again, uh, this is not so much a physical slumbering problem, but a spiritual slumbering problem. Why do I say that? Because I say that because Jesus has just revealed to them two key things. One of the things he revealed to them is that one of them is going to betray them. That was just like a couple of hours earlier, that one of them is going to betray him. Uh, and not just like speak bad of him, but to betray him. And in that, if, if, if you've been a group of guys that have been hanging together for like three years, day in and day out, seeing amazing things taking place of what God has done over time, not fully even knowing what's been going on in Judas's heart in it all of it, is this not one of those times that, that, that you hear this, that you would think that it's like, and all of them are saying, could it be me? Could it be me? Wouldn't this keep you awake for a little bit? Wouldn't you hope that would bother you to the point where it would like keep you by the way, have you ever been in a point in life where you're so anguished, you're so turmoiled over life, things that you can't sleep? I'm sure you have. I have. It's like even take a sleeping pill, and it's like the anguish of life trumps that. And in it, it's where life is hard and to the point to where it's like, I just can't sleep. It's like, I can't get any real sleep. When anguish overtakes you, sleeplessness is one of the things. And can I say in all this, they're not that anguished by the fact of being told that one will betray. They're also not anguished to the fact of staying up that when Jesus said that all of the rest of them would fall away on account of Christ, I would just think for them, uh, and particularly in light of what Peter was just, I would never do that, I will never do Oh, by the way, why are they sleeping? Probably because of what Peter just said in the revealing of his own heart. What was Peter just saying? Peter was just saying, that couldn't be me. I wouldn't do that. Not me, Lord. Not me, Lord. And when you think you're that awesome, why pray? And when you think you got it, why face down in anguish and turmoil, keeping up at night, when it's like, that's not me, that's not my problem, I already got this. Listen, we've already been told why they're asleep, because they don't see the reality of their own situation at hand. And Jesus has told them, would you stay awake? Would you please stay awake because uh, that you would not enter into temptation? Guys, uh, this is the type of thing where it's like, please stay in prayer because you don't even understand what you're in need of right now. Can we all relate to that? Sometimes why don't we anguish in prayer maybe the way we should, maybe because we think we've got it. Because we think we've got enough strength, enough ability, enough power in ourselves to be able to handle it all. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit, verse 41, is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, there's so many things that are coming out of here that could cause us, and maybe I don't want to leave these moments and talking about the disciples and have you and I discouraged or you and I walking out with our heads down and feeling hopeless and discouraged and like losers. So let me give you some hope, okay? 
Let me provide us some hope, and here's the hope. In all of even the slumbering, and in the, that would never be me, Jesus never abandoned them. Never. Though they abandon him, he never abandons them. Though they abandon him, he never abandons them. Never. Pastor Doug, you don't know what I've done. You don't even know what I've done this last week. Maybe not, but I do know this. If you know Christ is your Savior, he will never abandon you. Listen, walking with Christ is not performance-based. Walking with Christ is based on grace, through faith, in the work of Christ, alone. Let's stop trying so hard and being so awesome in ourselves. Let's just be losers with eyes on Jesus. Point driven home. There is hope, friends. There's great hope. Now to Jesus and his cup. Again, we're on hollowed ground. Notice how he starts each time, at least on Matthew, uh, the Spirit of God presents it. My father, my father. Verse 44, he prayed the same thing again. Clearly, this is a, a relationship conversation. This is divinity with divinity that's taking place. As I've already mentioned, there's more conversation than this, but this is all we need to know to know the gist of what's taking place here. My Father, if it is possible, verse 39, this is key, let this cup pass from me. Verse 42, my Father, if this, I'll say, if this cup cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Then 44, he's praying the same thing. So what is this cup? Jesus is inquiring of the Father as to whether there could be an alternative plan. <laughs> Here's, here's the reality of it. God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son are in eternity past all together. <laughs> the second person of the Trinity steps into the flesh to, to do for us what we could not do for ourselves in our, in our place. And then they're having this conversation. And Jesus, at this point, is making reference to the Father. And it's like, hey, um, can we review the plan one more time? Why would he be doing this? Because what is about to take place is right at hand. And the second person of the Trinity, as the Son of Man in this, is not pushing back on the Father for the preordained plan of the Trinity from the past Genesis chapter 3, that there will come one who will deal Satan a lethal blow. There's always been a plan in place. And he's not saying, let's bag the plan. He's not. It, it's kind of the reality of what is about to take place. He's on the cusp of the whole thing going down. This is the moment, friends. Gethsemane is the moment that drives him to the cross. This is the decision point. And he's saying, can this cup, is there a different kind of cup? What is this cup? Well, verse 37, we clearly get this idea that it has this anguish with it, this incomparable anguish that comes out of it, a sorrow and trouble. Verse 38, my soul is sorrowful even to death. Verse 39, he fell on his face and prayed. Luke twenty-two forty-four. his sweat became like drops of blood. Hey, uh, I've sent some stress in my own life in the last week, few months, uh, you too, and uh, I haven't sweat blood. 
I've got to say, that moves you into class of high stress. Okay? What's the stress? The cup in the Old Testament is the poured out wrath of God. Well, let me read for you a couple passages from the Old Testament, Psalm eleven six. Let him rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur, and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. Psalm 75, 8, New International Version, in the hand of the Lord is a cup full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours it out on all the wicked of earth, drink it down to its very dregs. Isaiah 51, 17. Wake yourself, wake yourself. Stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath. Jeremiah 25, 15. Thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath. Ezekiel 23, 33. Thus says the Lord your God, you shall be laughed at and held in derision you will be filled with drunkenness and sorrow, a cup of horror and desolation. I think for most of my life, I saw Gethsemane and I saw when Jesus was praying here and talking about the cup that years ago I'd done some reading about the whole process of crucifixion and the, the crazy unbelievable, strategic, timed torture process that's involved. It's literally, uh, was so executed so excellently that they would take a person to the point of death and just hold them a hair from it so that they could torture them more and then hold them back a little bit more. Ripping their body apart. Innards were are recorded of others who had been crucified walking down uh, to their crucifixion with their intestines hanging out. And on and on and on. I can't even fathom that physically. And that's the part where I've thought uh, so often in, in my younger days where it's like, that, that's what Jesus was, the anguish of the physical side. But friends, that's not the anguish of it. And this is what's so stunning of it. The anguish of it is, is he is realizing that he, excuse me, he is going to bear the full, righteous, poured out wrath of God the Father. And this is the one that in eternity past with the Father, with the Spirit, with the Son, perfect, has never known sin, has never experienced the reality of sin. And yet in it, now he is at a point where he is looking and he is seeing that shortly, within hours from now, he is going to experience the full wrath of God poured out on sin of all sin poured out on him, the perfect son of God. And that is the thing that he just cannot bear. And you and I often struggle to wrestle with the weight of even just our own sin. And sometimes we just don't even feel the weight of our own sin. And here is in this moment of this magnitude of the wrath of the Father and the separation 
that is going to come from that in that moment. That's what brings the sweats of blood. Sin. Oh, I wish I had a hatred for sin like that. Oh, I wish I had a hatred for the, the even the, the, the realm of sin like that. Or the things that we get bothered by. That are not really the things to be bothered by. And here the son is not re-questioning this whole thing or saying it's a bad idea. It's just kind of, maybe if I can in my own words, it's kind of like, Father, the spiritual reality of having sin poured out on me is incomprehensibly horrific. The thought of your resulting wrath being poured out on me as a result of of the, the, the sin of mankind, of me bearing that, I'm sweating blood, it's so unimaginable and unbearable. And the spiritual relationship ramifications, not even so much the physical ramifications, are the horror of it all. Father, can we review the eternal plan? Is there another way? Oh, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Oh, my Father, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will, If this cup cannot pass unless I drink it, oh my Father, your will be done. I am awed by the hollow ground of Gethsemane. That God would take upon himself the weight and the wrath that should be poured out on you and me and bear it all. What a God. I don't want to leave the awe, but I do think there are a couple observations that we can make out of this that retain the awe. And the one is this. Absorb Hebrews 12, 1 through 4. Absorb Hebrews 12, 1 through 4. Listen as I read. Hebrews 12 is after Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith. Making reference to those from times past that have been faithful unto the Lord. Just, just listen as I read Hebrews 12, 1 through 4. Therefore, Since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, the witnesses of Hebrews 11, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despising the shame 
the cup and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. As we stand back and we look at this moment of Gethsemane, of divinity meeting together, I think we stand back and we watch. And as Hebrews 12, 1 through 4 says, let's look to Jesus and let's observe him who endured. And more of that in us. More like that. More hollowed ground moments in my life, Lord. In fact, in that observation, let me just, four things. Observations. One, I just observe, my goodness, life was taken there. Life was taken there. Jesus didn't step into Gethsemane with the Father and, and kind of like, you know, what was happening in life was irrelevant. No, no, no. It's not leave life at the door and come before the Lord. No, no, no. It's bring life to the Lord. Life was brought there. Secondly, I see wills were met there. I mean, Christ in his humanity in this, there, there is this, we can relate to the component of this where there's a will between us and, and the Lord, Right? And it's like, I want to do what I want to do. Uh, God wants me to do what he wants me to do. And the wills battle, don't they? And in this, there's this thing to where I I love the wrestling of it out. Listen, friends, clearly Gethsemane shows us that, that the Father and the Son are big enough to be able to handle our will battle with them. Like, like, like. Lord, I really don't want to do what you ask me to do in this. He can handle that. It's not mockery. It's not disgust of him. It's bringing life there and putting our wills there. Lord, if it was my will, I would just ask that you'd make everything wonderful. Fuzzy bunnies. Everywhere for everyone. But not my will, Lord. Yours, right? There's a battle that goes on there. Life was taken there. Wills were met there. Third strength was gained there. It's just implicit in the text of it. And it's implicit out of what comes out of the end of it. Verse 46, rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Just moments, in the hours and the minutes prior to that, he's like, Lord, is there any other way? But strength was gained there, and that relates to the fourth. I'm calling it stakes were driven there. Decision was made there as to who's who, as to who it's all about, as to what it's all about. And we leave it there. We want to be kings and queens of our own little kingdoms. And that is a battle with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And in our lives, friends, we're invited to come and bring our life there. Battle our wills out there. Talk them out there. Remind ourselves of what God has had. Gain strength there. Drive stakes there. 
I think of Hannah in 1 Samuel 1 when we were studying through Samuel not too long ago. And Hannah, just in the weight of what she's experiencing and the reality of, of the mockery and her own inner heart struggle with not being able to have a child. And, and in chapter 1, we see her. We don't know what was said. We don't know exactly what went down. But when she was in the temple with the Lord, she came out of that temple and the decision was made there. A stake was driven there. And she was going to proceed on for the Lord's glory. Come hell or high water. That's what we're talking about. And I am grateful for a Savior that brought it there, laid it there, and took on hell. And all the weight of it, and all the wrath of it, And as a result of that, you and I can have a relationship with him. Man, hollowed ground. Hollowed ground. Lord, I pray that we would just be kind of hushed in our hearts with this. Father, would you just take the text of what you've told us and just impress in us your goodness you would do that. That you would bear that. That you would pour yourself out and take on the poured out wrath of the Father for sin. Oh. What a gift. blessing oh how marvelous are you hushed all Lord we need you pray if there's anyone in this room who is not had that time where they've driven the stake in the ground and received you as the Savior for their sin and began the journey as a child of God. Oh God, I pray they would ask someone. They would come and repent of sin and their sin condition and cry out to you that you would pour your work of the cross on us having taken the wrath that we deserve. Father, I pray for those of us who know you as our Savior. May we be just awed by you, stunned by you, amazed by you. May you be held high. Oh, we are so like the disciples. We think we're so awesome sometimes, so capable at times. And the fact of the matter is, is we're broken and we're in need and we are incapable people. And yet the hope of, of that bad news is that you went to the cross and you did not abandon us. You died for us. And you love us. Oh Lord, hushed all. Amen.